As we turn in our Bible today, we're going to realize there's some stuff that is beyond us. There's some stuff that only God is able to do, and praise God, that bit is up to him. And what we realize is that we come to a God who is an obedient conqueror, the one who overcomes sin and death, the one who defeats evil. I'm unable to defeat evil. I'm able to give. I'm able to serve. I'm able to pray. I'm able to grow in character and gifting. I'm able to welcome others. I'm able to display things in the kingdom. But I, in and of myself, cannot overcome the evil one. I can't do it. But I know someone who can. And if I know someone who can, and I know that he's at work now, in and through me by the power of his spirit, I can have confidence that the kingdom that I live in is shaped ultimately not just by me and by us, but by Jesus, the king of the kingdom. He's the obedient conqueror. He's the one that we long to meet. He's the one that ultimately, when we arrive into church with each other, I love that we get to meet one another on a Sunday morning, but ultimately, I've got to meet Jesus. I've got to encounter him. I've got to be reminded of what my king is really like. Because when I know what the king is like, then I can live in the good of his kingdom on my behalf. And Matthew is doing that. So we're going to take Matthew's gospel, and we're going to do it through these little seven moments that happen. And the reason we've called it our king and the kingdom, seven mountains, is Matthew's clever. Matthew, if you just jump onto the Bible project, little montage, you know, the rich, you got that one, there you go. This is a lovely little tool, a team called the Bible Project put together a few years back. And what they try to do is they try to grab the essence of each of the 66 books of the Bible. And they try to grab what the big story of each of those books is really going on about. Because you can get details, you can get really minute into what's happening in each page and each verse and each chapter. But the Bible Project are just trying to take a summary view of what Matthew's gospel is all about. What's this one of the 66 books trying to do? And one of the things that they're trying to point across is they're trying to say, actually, there is something here of a bridge between the Old Testament that was written before Jesus and the arrival of Jesus now into the new. So like this little bridging book, especially for people who understand what Jewish religion used to be like. Matthew is absolutely full of quotes, hyperlinks, Easter egg, hidden bits, if that's your kind of terminology, back into the Old Testament to say, look, this was happening in the old part of the Bible, the bit pre-Jesus. Look how Jesus is now drawing your attention towards what is old and saying, see, this was actually all about me. I'm the fulfillment of what has gone before. So Matthew is trying to do these things. He's trying to say, Jesus is the Messiah is the coming king that you were looking for. You see it across the, just those three at the top, underneath where it says Matthew, trying to say, he is this coming king. He is in the line of David, the great king of the Jewish empire, the one who knocked out Goliath with a slingshot. That's David, this little shepherd boy who becomes the greatest king in the whole of the empire. Our king is in a line of kings like him. What else is he like? Well, he's also like this new Moses. Moses was this first one of bringing the law, led God people out of Egypt, 
let my people go. You know, in the ground, Exodus, big waves parting. That guy, Moses. Jesus, fulfillment of him. I'm the new Moses. I'm not only a new king, I'm also the one that's going to come and bring the law. I'm going to come and teach you how to have relationship with the living gods. And the final big essence of all of Matthew's gospel, this book, is to say that God, Emmanuel, is with us. It's not just that the king has arrived and that a new Moses is on the scene. And it's not just that it's going on over there at a distance. It's that Jesus has come to be amongst us, his people. God took on human flesh and dwelled amongst humanity. See, and what he's doing is he's constantly then trying to find, and all of those other parts, you can study it for yourself, but all of them are then trying to draw your attention towards the fact that each of these little things are happening and that each of these fulfillments from the old are starting to be found and seen in the new. And so seven's an important number in the Bible. Anyone shout out what seven means often within the Bible? What is the number seven about? Seven days in the week? Completion. It's a number about complete. Something is a whole. Seven, seven points as towards that. And what Matthew does, this is where he's clever, is if you skip on, Matthew has seven moments in his gospel. Now, we could have done it by accident, but I think Matthew was a good writer. I think anyone else agree Matthew was an all right writer? He did all right for himself. Matthew used seven moments in which Jesus went up high places or mountains, and at each of those seven moments, he revealed something of what his character was like. Now, again, that could be, he might have, he might have just forgot that there was an eighth one. He might have thought, oh, actually, there's only six, I'll just make one up and put it in a seven. No, he's looking for these moments in which he's saying, there is a completeness about the revealing of God in these high places. And again, you see it throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of, and look out for it if you're reading your Bible. If they've gone to a high place, it's normally because high places are places of worship. That's where Moses received the law. He went up a high place. It's where Isaac is about to be sacrificed by Abraham. They go up to a high place. There's often moments in which high places symbolize there's going to be an encounter with God that's going on in this moment. And so Jesus, in taking these times when he goes up with his disciples on his own to high places, Matthew is trying to say to him, pay attention to these high places. Jesus is about to reveal something about himself and who he is in God. And when you start to see them, so each week we're going to do seven weeks, and we're going to look at each of those high places and how the king is revealed. And what does he do after each of the seven high places? Well, he dips back down, and that's just the lay of the land in Israel. If you know it, it's got kind of two high mountain ranges into a big valley that happens with the, with the river that's running through and into the Sea of Galilee at the top. And as it runs through, it runs through to the Dead Sea at the bottom. You've got this with Jerusalem there and it's running into this big valley and Jesus goes up into higher places and he goes back down to continue his ministry into the valleys. Jesus is constantly doing that, going up high, encountering God, revealing who he is and then heading back to be amongst people and to live out the kingdom. The kingdom isn't lived out in the higher places. That's why when we, when we worship God, now this isn't a mountaintop, this is pretty flat, but Sunday mornings in some ways are called to be places of encounter with the king, collective encounter. We can meet him anywhere, of course you can. There's something about the people of God gathering together, 
to a higher place of worship, to a higher place of encounter and knowing God's. But then we don't just stay in the higher places. We encounter who the king is. And then from that place, we go out to go and display his kingdom. We say, this is our king. Thank you. God, we know what you're like. Our confidence in you has increased. We can't believe this is what our king is really like. Then we leave and we go out into all of the world and we display our king and we build and establish his kingdom. But if all we're ever doing is building and establishing the kingdom and forgetting what the king is like, we've missed the point. And if all we're ever doing is thinking about what the king is like and not actually building and establishing the kingdom, we've forgotten the point. There is a thing that is, belongs to us and a thing that is beyond us in these, thing, in, the, in these bits that we're called to do. And so today we're going to go to this very first mountaintop experience and it's the fact that Jesus goes up to a higher place to have an encounter with the evil one, the enemy, Satan. And Satan tries to tempt him. And Satan tries to, tries to distract him at the very early part of his, in, at his ministry, tries to undermine who Jesus really is. But our king is victorious. Our king conquers the enemy. Even at the very beginning of the story, before we get to Resurrection Sunday, before we get in seven weeks' time to Easter, it's only seven weeks till Easter. But until we get to Easter, he's already shown, I will overcome the evil one. And how will he overcome the evil one? Because of his obedience to the word of God. That's the way he does it. We have an obedient conqueror. And his obedience is to his father's words. It's a wonderful truth. It's what our king is like. And that's the way that we're going to build his kingdom. Because we're going to be obedient to the word of the Father. We're going to be obedient to the word of God. We're going to know that this is the way that we overcome the evil one. Not just by being stronger or faster or cleverer than him, but by being obedient to all that God says. So let's read it together. We got. Do you want to just pull up Matthew for us? Here we are. I'm going to try and read it from my Bible. Just give me a second while I just open us to it. Okay, Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days... This is where this period of Lent, even it begins here in this story, which we've just begun as a church, what it means to fast for this period of time. And again, I said Matthew's gospel is full of Old Testament references. He's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. What's significant about the number 40 in the Old Testament? Again, I'm not going to give all the answers now, but this is where our little our brain should just be triggering and going, hang on a minute. I thought again about times when there's been 40 days or 40 years or 40 years a period of time. Why has that been happening? Why has he gone for this period? Why is he being led into a desert place? That sounds a little bit like some exoduses that have gone on before. Oh, okay. You see, there's links that are happening between the old and the new, and Matthew's doing that continuously for us. And he was hungry. Who else would have been hungry after 40 days? No. Wow. Well done. And then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
tell these stones to become bread. That's an Old Testament moment as well, isn't it? Isn't there a little moment when manna is provided in the wilderness? Moses, new Moses arriving on the scene anyway. He answered it. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus told him, it is also written. What does Jesus keep doing? How does he, how does he overcome the evil one? It is written. It is written. It is written. It's coming back to the word of God, not just his own opinion on stuff. We're sort of built a little bit sometimes, aren't we? It's our opinions that are important and matter. They do matter if they're shaped on truth. If they're just your opinion, I'll keep your, you know, Sky Reporters. Hey, opinion of this person randomly on the street that's decided to have an opinion. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a great opinion. Is it truthful? Does it have any facts or evidence? Or is it just what you thought because you ate weird cheese last night? I don't know. But we're, again, culture just doesn't shape us to place value on truth. Culture seems to shape us continuing to place value on experience and how we feel and what's going on, which these are not invalid things. They're just maybe not always the most confident ways of building, you know, kingdoms. Let's, do, let's call it that. Um, so he said, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. He's coming back to scripture again and again. The devil took him to a very high mountain. It's the first time Matthew's like, hey, here we go, first one. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your gods and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and began to serve to him. And I'm just going to carry on this little bit. And when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So he's gone from this high mountain place back down towards the sea, back down towards Galilee to live in Capernaum, to live amongst the people. Because he's revealed who he is to Satan He's overcome the three tests that were presented before him. He's displayed this first act of the sort of king that he is like, the obedient conqueror, obedient to what is written in the word of God. And now he's going to go and live out the kingdom amongst his people. And next week, Rach Wilson's going to look at the Sermon on the Mount because he's going to start to teach again from another higher place of what his kingdom is really going to look like. So... That's our story for today. What are we going to learn from it and how are we going to find comfort in it? We're going to learn this. Satan and the evil one. And this is the thing as well, that there are some things that are, belong to us. They're our responsibility. But there are definitely things in the world that are beyond us. And evil is one of the things that is beyond us. You might not think evil exists. I don't know. 
I even just looking, I'm just trying to catch some people's faces at the moment. You might think, evil? I think if you've lived in the world long enough and you've experienced things of the world and you not just seen it on news, but you've seen it in your life and you felt the power of stuff and thought, well, how, how is this still happening? <laughs> there's something deeply innate. And actually, I'd say amongst people who are not followers of Jesus, there's a greater understanding, appreciation of just evil, sin, sickness. Like, it's like there's just a poison within humanity. It's just moments when you, you listen to the news and you think of, how could people do that to each other? Like, how, could, how could anyone behave in such a way towards another human being? And you think there's something, to, and, it, and this is repeated sickness and behavior that happens throughout all of human history. We're not on some upward trajectory towards nirvana. We're not on some upward trajectory towards humanity just becoming nicer and kinder to each other. We just don't see that amongst us. Evil still seems to affect the world in which we live in. You may be living today as the, and, and feeling the scars and the pain of evil in your life. Evil that just doesn't want you to, to, to as Thomas said, to break free of addictions in your life. The evil of, of others that are just, that, 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 that persecute and, and bring suffering and harm and damage continuously into situations. And, and the real sad thing is, is that evil doesn't just exist in some and good in others. We all understand that actually, in, and, and again, so much of, of literature, you realize that evil is a line that is drawn right down the middle of us. There's something about within me, evil lurks. The beast lives within me. It's not that someone else is evil. It's that actually I know that I am capable of evil. I know that I am capable of the, 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 the terrible things that you see within the world. There's something deep-rooted within us that think, well, I could be capable of that. In, in, in the wrong circumstances, at the wrong time, each of us can be affected by the power of evil in our life. Praise be to God's that I've been rescued from a domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise be to God that now the evil that once I longed to do, I now no longer do, because now I long to live in a way which pleases and serves God. If anything good lives within me, it's because God, the spirit of God who rose from the grave, is now at work in changing and transforming me from a life that was once a slave to evil and the patterns of this world to now being free to follow him and live in a way which pleases and serves him. It's because the line of evil has been removed from within me. It's not about just dealing with someone else and evil as an outsider, saying, I must be changed and transformed. God, you must rescue me from the evil one. You must deal with the sin within me. And they, they start small. They're not all starting with great human-like life or in tragedies. They often start within those small little moments. But as we give way to evil, the evil one starts to conquer in our life. But we have power to overcome the evil one because we know the king and the word of God. And as we declare the word of God, and as we say, no, hang on a minute, not just I feel this way, but it is written, I experience freedom from the tests of the evil one in my life. The world needs to hear that stuff. When we walk around Eastbourne, when we're amongst our neighbours and our friends, when we see sickness and sadness and suffering and death around us all the time, we need to be voices of hope that say, we know someone that can overcome this evil. 
We know that you may be stuck in this place, but we know someone who can set you free from it. We know someone who can deal with the evil within you. We know someone who can set you free from the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that the evil one has placed upon you. The pattern of this world can be broken because we know an obedient conqueror. Do you want to meet him? That's the call of the Christian, is to be able to say, do you want to meet Jesus? Don't, you can say, come to church. Of course you can, because I'd hope if you come to church, you meet Jesus. You can say, do you want to spend some time with me? But don't just spend time with them. Introduce them to Jesus. Get people to Christ. Christ is the one who overcomes. Christ is the one who can set us free from the work of the evil one in our life. And that starts local, but it can transform the world. That is what the kingdom has been doing for 2,000 years. It's been changing the world because the kingdom has been growing because our king is the obedient conqueror. So what does he overcome? He overcomes three tests. You've got these little three ones that are there. And if you've got that, there you go. These are the three tests that come across. He tests you physically. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Are you hungry? You need a bit of food? Okay, let me test you physically. How else am I going to test you? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. You'll not strike your foot against a stone. He tests you emotionally. Does anyone care about you? Are you really that important to God? You might feel this is where the evil one will poke you. He might test you physically. Temptation can come in physical forms. That's what Lent and, and fasting is trying to do. It's sometimes it's trying to get some, some strength back into our physical beings. To say, no, no, I'm, I can be physically strong to overcome this. So we spoke about things like abstinence, abstaining from physical things that we may eat or drink that affect us in a way which says, no, no, hang on a minute. I can find my reliance on Christ and on God and on God alone. I can overcome the physical tests. I can overcome the emotional tests. No one cares. Maybe you have too high a view of yourself or too low a view of yourself. Both of those are a problem. Arrogance is a problem. Feeling like, actually, I'm so significant important. Yeah, I'll just throw myself off. God will rescue me. It's all right. That's a problem. And arrogance is a problem. We see that in the church sometimes. I'd say that's more of the religious spirit in this room. It's probably more of a problem sometimes that we can deal with with followers of Christ. But he tests us emotionally. And finally, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. He tests us spiritually. He says, who is really your God? What are the things, oh, it's gone quiet. What are the things that are most important to you? What are the things that you place at the center? What are the things that you say don't just belong to you that you're now going to give to me, but you say belong to you and you're keeping hold of? They're the gods that we make in this life. And so Jesus experiences each of these three tests, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And how does he overcome each of them? His three responses to the physical test. He says, it is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God can sustain you. I'm preparing to do Dot Wade's funeral in a week or so's time. 96-year-old lady who died as part of this church. I've got a photo that I just put on the back of her order of service because when I walked into the home that she was staying in, she deaf so she couldn't hear that I'd walked in she'd just and but she wonderful and she'd shout at you and she couldn't quite hear what you were saying what a wonderful servant of Jesus though she's just sat reading her bible on her own just that's the photo that I just snapped over her shoulder I probably should have asked her consent but I didn't um and so just she's just sitting there reading Psalm 119 just sitting and reading the word of the Lord because she knows that's what's fueling her she couldn't eat much towards the end 
She didn't have much human company or visits. She had a little crossword that was going on. She couldn't hear the radio or the news. Praise God. Um, but yeah, just as a result, she's sitting because the word of the Lord. It fuels her and sustained her. She'd learned that lesson throughout following Jesus for decades. Then in an emotional test, what happens? Jesus again pushes back and says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Yeah, you'll have an emotional test. You'll feel like, am I important? Am I significant to God? Do I know him? I don't need to test God because the word of God says that he knew me before the foundation of the world. The word of God tells me that he knitted me together in my mother's womb. The word of God tells me that he knows every hair that appears on my head, that he hems me in in front and behind, that my name is graven on his hands. I don't need to test whether that's true because it is written. Why am I testing what is written? It's true. I believe in the word of God. Don't unhear what I just said then. Heard it come out of my mouth. You can test the word of God if you're looking into faith. This is strong enough to deal with your objections and your concerns and your worries. It's a strong book. It will deal with your testing and you're looking into it. But don't flippantly test it. Oh God, I'm just not sure whether it's even true or not. Believe in him. Put your hope and trust in him. And finally, a spiritual test. How does Jesus respond? For it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God is the one who is worthy of praise. He is our king. He's the one that we come before. He's the one that we put our trust in. He's the way that we overcome. And how is our kingdom known? How is the kingdom, how is faith, how is Christianity, how is the church going to be known? It's going to be known in our obedience to its king. That's what I get a bit worried about sometimes. The reality is, actually, if I watch the news, I sometimes see the church being known for all sorts of things. Heard the other day that the church wants to be known as a place that's good for parties. It's it's all right. You can have a party in church. We have lots of parties up in church. I don't want it to be known for a place that's good for parties. That would be the worst, like, strapline for the church. The church, a place that's good for parties. No, the church... A place that loves Jesus. A place that's obedient to King Jesus. Jesus is what we're known for. He's surely got to be what it's about. All the other things, like, and again, there's be a danger of it. I don't want just King's Church to be known. Great for kids' work. Really nice singers at King's Church. Please, well, you can if you want, read the Google reviews of King's Church. They, they amuse me sometimes when I read them. Um, people, because they do, they write, really good for this, really good for that. Oh, the parking was all right. Oh, no, parking's terrible. I had to park at Morrison's. Coffee was, coffee's worse than it was two years ago. Um, you know, <laughs> da, da, da. But, because people's opinions are kind of vaguely interesting. And there, there are moments when you think, oh, I can learn some of that. But what would I really want as a Google review is like, loves Jesus. Like, King's Church, five-star review, loves Jesus. Like, how, does he, how does he come and meet the churches in Revelation? He talks about their passion for him. Talks about their, their, their obedience to Christ. Their, their enduring faithfulness. Their love for all of the saints. Their hope in Jesus. Now, these, are the, these are the reputations that we want to build. And that's what the kingdom's going to look like. We want to be a church that is built and established on Christ. Because he's the one that overcomes Satan. He destroys evil in the world. 
I'm just going to, we're going to finish by reading this together. I'm going to invite up Sally and the bands. We're going to read a little bit from Psalm 119. This is what Dot was, was reading on her, um, on her hospital bed just a little while back. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to get us just to pray some of this because, um, yeah, the way that we, oh, that was loud. Um, the way that we learn to overcome ourselves and to overcome the evil one is continuing to submit to the word of God. And there's a brilliant psalm. It's called Delight in God's Word, Psalm 119. It's huge. It's, what is it? It's two, four pages in my Bible. It's page number 760, if it's 760 in yours as well. That's, that's a joke for people who have who've read their Bibles a lot because we've all got different page numbers in the Bible. Um, anyway, because they're all different sizes and different fonts. You know, some of yours will be that big and some of yours will be tiny, tiny. Um, but Psalm 119 is a wonderful psalm and it's long. And it'll give you loads of fuel to read and to consider what it's like to delight in God's word. But I'm going to invite us to stand. And we're going to read this as a little prayer together, which is Psalm 119, verse 9. And we're going to pray this. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're very welcome to pray it for the very first time. Because what you're saying is, God, I want to, I want to submit to your words. I want your words to shape my life. I want your words, your, the word of the obedient conqueror to help me overcome the evil one. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're reminding yourself that this is your path. This is your way of find free, finding freedom. If the reason we're doing it collectively and not individually is because we're declaring as a community of believers that the way that we're going to build the kingdom together is on the word of God. That's what's going to bring us our greatest joy is building it onto his words. And then for some, and I think this will be, this will be significant for you today, I think there are some who specifically would just say, I know that I am being tested by the evil one at the moment. I know I am. I know that the evil one, that's what Martin was touching on when I said, come on, pray for people. You're feeling the power of evil in your life, whether it's sickness, whether it's addiction, whether it's habits, whether it's temptation, as Thomas said. And the way you're going to overcome isn't just by going out with a, a stronger will to overcome it. It's by trusting in the word of the Lord. And it's by declaring and speaking it. There's power in the spoken word of God. So when we speak these things, we're declaring them to the evil one. Do you know the thing about Satan is that Satan can't read your mind. He doesn't know what your mind thinks. He has to hear your words. The evil one can't, he doesn't understand what's happening in your heart and in your head. He doesn't have that power. He can only hear what you say. So when you say that I believe in the word of God and I believe these things, actually you're declaring something to the principalities and powers. You're declaring something to the evil one today and saying, I'm going to overcome this test because I put my hope in what is written by God and my trust is in him, the king, the obedient conqueror. So we're just going to read these. It's Psalm 119. I think it starts from verse 9. I've put it down there from. Sorry, I haven't got the verse on it. But we're not going to read the whole of it. We're just going to read this. So if you just begin with me. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your words in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Be blessed, God. Train me in your ways of wise living. 
With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering a pile of riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in everything you've told me of life. I will not forget your words. Just now, before Sally starts to sing, just quietly, you might just want to pray. That's a prayer we've said together. You might just want to pray your own prayer to God. If you're close to someone who you know, actually, you just need a hand on your shoulder just to receive some encouragement and prayer now. You might just say to them, would you just pray for me? I just need to know the freedom from the evil one in my life. Church, this is just a few minutes now just to spend some business with God.